0: Today isn't an official holiday, but uh, it is the Super Bowl, which means it is the second largest food holiday of the year, uh, only second to Thanksgiving, and I know you're looking at me and I'm wearing a Padres uniform and it's a football game, I get it, we don't have a football team in San Diego, and so what the Super Bowl reminds me of is this, when the Super Bowl's over, it's baseball season, friends, and guess what, Padres, it's... It's a year for us, right? I don't know what's gonna happen with the Padres, but go Padres. But back to the Super Bowl, okay? It's the largest or the second largest food holiday of the year, which begs the question what are the most important foods that we eat on the Super Bowl? And I looked at some things, and I'm just gonna tell you right now um, it is kind of disgusting how much food we're going to eat today, okay? And so look at this. Here's how much food we're gonna consume. 1.5 billion chicken wings are going to be consumed. 12.5 million pizzas will be delivered. That's way too many. Uh, 14 billion hamburgers. Are be served. That's a billion with a B. Billion hamburgers are served. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips will be eaten. 8.2 million pounds of tortilla chips. 140 million pounds of avocados because you got to make guacamole to have with your tortilla chips. And then look at this one. Four million pounds of pretzels are going to be eaten today, which one for some of you is like, that's disgusting. And some of you are like, but that's kind of awesome. (laughs) I can't wait to eat all of that food. Uh, And and to give you two more stats to go along with those crazy stats um, and and it makes sense after looking at it. uh, Tomorrow, antacid sales are going to go up 25% because people are going to have issues with their stomach. Uh, And then also, close to 2 million people are going to call in sick tomorrow because of all the food they ate. But none of us would do that, right? No, we wouldn't do it. Uh, But as I was looking at that list, uh, it was interesting. My favorite snack did not make the list. Uh, My favorite snack are the the little Smokies, you know, the little hot dogs, and you pour barbecue sauce all over them. I love those, but it didn't make the list, and I'm a little bummed about it. I also love nachos and the the Swedish meatballs. I need all of those things, but but most likely today, you're going to go to uh, some party. You're going to go to someone's house, or maybe you're just going to be at your house, and I want you to imagine with me for a second that you show up to a Super Bowl party, and when you walk into the door, all that's there is a couch and a TV, and they go, today there's no food. If that happened when I walked into a party, I'd be like, what are we doing here, people, right? And I would leave because I don't care who wins the game, honestly. I wanna be with good company, and I wanna eat a lot of food. And so it would be a nightmare if I showed up to a party and no food was there. Why? Because food is life. We love it here. Obviously, you can see by the stats, food is life. Food is good. Without food, we die. At the end of the day, food is the thing that sustains us. It's something we live for, in a sense. And uh, today, I know a lot of us are going to go to different parties, but we're also going to be looking at a scripture today where we see a, a giant crowd of people showing up to an event, and they show up to this event, and guess what? It's dinner time, and there isn't any food. But guess who is there? there's a man named Jesus. And it's a good thing Jesus is there, because what we're going to learn as we look throughout this story is this. When it comes to Jesus, Jesus is the sustainer of life. Now, as we've been going through this series in the the Gospel of John, I've loved all of it. We have to be reminded that John shows us a literal meaning and a a symbolic meaning to this. And so we may read, Jesus is the sustainer of life. and, And at the outset, we go, okay, cool. He helps us. But He wants to give us a deeper meaning into what does that actually mean. And so my prayer today um, is that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the deeper understanding of this. Jesus is the sustainer of your life. So I pray we don't miss it today. Uh, and so, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter six. Uh, we're continuing once again in this series, and um, we've seen Jesus perform a lot of different miracles. Uh, he turns water into wine. He meets Nicodemus and talks about being born again. He meets the woman at the well. Uh, and today we get to a place where once again it's a very famous story where it's actually the only miracle that is captured in in all of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all found this story so historic and so huge that they said, we have to include this story in our Gospels. And so you see it in all four of them. Um, But what's about to happen is Jesus is actually in this place called Galilee. Uh, Something you have to know about Galilee is that it is a... It's a poor society. It's really filled with a lot of peasant farmers who who had land, but they got taxed heavily by the government because of the land. And, And many of these people, they actually lost their land because of the wealthy elite who would buy it from them. And so when it comes to this group of people, the Galileans, they are very poor. And so the basic needs of life, food, water, shelter, those are all very difficult to come by. They're trying to find those needs, and which explains a lot when you think of Jesus. Jesus, he um, quotes Isaiah, but he says his mission on this planet is one of the things he wants to do is to proclaim good news to the poor, which is why you see Jesus do most of his ministry in Galilee, because he sees there's a need, and these people probably feel like they don't get cared for, and Jesus says, I'll care for the people who don't get cared for. So he does a lot of his ministry, including what we're about to see right here, uh, where this crowd is coming, he says, let's meet their needs. And so read with me in verse one, it says this, it says, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he performed by healing the sick. Verse 3, Jesus goes up to a mountain. He sat down there with his disciples, and the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Now, now this is important. Um, Passover was a time when a lot of people would come into this area, and so most likely you had more family members, more friends in this area. So there's probably bigger crowds than normal. So that's an important thing to know. Verse five, look at what happens. When Jesus looks up, he noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, and he asks Philip, one of his disciples, and I love this question. He says, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? It's an interesting question that we'll we'll unpack. But what's more interesting is verse six. Look what he says. Uh, He asked this question to test Philip. For he himself, Jesus, knew already what he was going to do. So Jesus has the answer, and he's going to Philip and he's going, hey, where where are we going to buy food for these people? Just to see how he would answer. Look at how Philip answers in verse 7. Philip says, well, uh, there's a 200 denarii worth of bread. Wouldn't be enough for, for each of these people to even have a little? Uh, And when he says 200 denarii, that you can think of it as like half a year's wages. He's like, man, if if we had enough money from half a year, we wouldn't be able to buy enough food for them to have like multiple bites. And so that's my solution. That's not going to work. Another disciple kicks in, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother in verse 8. He says this, well, look, there's a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish. But look at his question. But what are they for so many? And so these disciples are looking for a solution to the hunger, um, and you can almost hear their lack of faith. This isn't even possible, Jesus. Why'd you ask us that question? Uh, look what happens in verse 10. Jesus calmly says, All right, disciples, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down, and it says that the men numbered about 5,000. Uh, it's important to us uh, to understand how they counted people at this time. They didn't count the women. They didn't count the children. They would just would count the men. And so when they say 5,000 men, you have to assume that uh, there's probably two or three other people along with them, their, their wife, maybe one or two other kids. And so it says 5,000 people. Most likely, there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people. So if you've ever been to Petco Park, that's about uh, a little bit over half the the stadium being filled, that's a lot of people, and and the fact that there's kids there also. By the way, uh, have you ever had hungry toddlers? Right? Have you ever had that when they throw themselves on the ground and they whine and complain? And so you can like almost feel the tension of, "Feed us, please. My kid just needs food." Right? And so the disciples are feeling the tension. We got to do something, Jesus. And he says, "Have them sit down." Verse eleven. Then Jesus, he takes the loaves and he takes the fish. And after giving thanks, they distribute them to those who were seated. And look at what happens. They all got as much as they wanted. I want you to highlight, circle, underline that. They got as much as they wanted. In verse 12, when they were full. Now that's a big deal. I bet most of these people can count on one hand how many meals they've had that have caused them to be full. Because it's not very many. But it says in this moment, they got as much as they wanted. And when they were full, Jesus says, the miracle's not over. And so he tells the disciples, collect all the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. I love this about Jesus and our God because he wants to use every bit of our resources. Not just the thing that we think he'll use. He's like, I'll use that, but I'm going to use all of it. Nothing is going to be wasted. Verse 13. So the disciples, they went, they collected the leftovers, and look at this. They filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets, 12 disciples, so they fed everyone as much as they wanted, and they got more. And this is a miraculous thing that happens, and everyone starts to pay attention, because in verse 14, the people, when they saw the sign that he had done, look at what they say. This has to be a prophet who has come to the world. In verse 15, Jesus recognizes something, and maybe how they said that, he's like, there's something different here. Because when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdraws again to the mountain by himself. So we uh, see this beautiful story, this miracle that happens. This is actually the fourth sign that we would see Jesus perform. Uh, And when it comes to this sign, it's important for us to understand that when we say Jesus is the sustainer of life, what, what does that ultimately mean? And really it means this, when Jesus looks at us, Jesus cares about providing for our daily needs, right? That's the beauty of who he is. You even think of Jesus um, when he teaches the disciples how to pray. He says, here's what you should pray. Give us today our what? Daily bread. He doesn't say, give me uh, for this coming week, all the things that I need for this. No, he says, pray, give me today my daily bread. So he cares about the daily provision for our needs, the food, the water, the shelter. He cares about those things, which is why in this passage, you see in verse 5, it says, Jesus looks up, he notices this this huge crowd is coming toward him, and so he goes to Philip and says, man, these people are hungry. Where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? And so I I love how John captures it. However, he doesn't fully capture... um, the care aspect as much as Matthew's gospel captures it, uh, and so I love in Matthew's gospel, Matthew fourteen fourteen, the same story. Matthew says it this way: He says Jesus sees a large crowd, and it says He has compassion on them. Compassion. Um, remember, this is a a, a poor society where coming by the basic necessities of life is very difficult. Right. They can't find it. And so Jesus cares. He has compassion. And that word compassion in the Greek, uh, my challenge for you uh, and I is to use this word in a conversation this week, okay? The Greek word for compassion is this, splonknesame. right? So that's like, excuse you, I'm sorry, Uh So use that in a sentence somewhere, but splonknesame. this Greek word compassion is more than just, oh, I feel bad for you. It's a, it's a visceral feeling in your gut, when you see a need, it almost hurts you, and you go, i got to do something about that, right? It's, it's visceral. You can feel it. Uh, and you've probably felt this feeling before. Uh, even as I think about it, as a parent, you feel this when your kids do things that hurt. Um, in fact, a few years ago, my oldest daughter, Lily, she's 11 right now, but two years ago, we got her a bike for Christmas. Uh, and as she's gotten older, we've given her, given her a little bit more freedom. She said, hey, can I go on a bike ride around the neighborhood? We're like, yeah, yeah, we're fine with that. And so a few years ago, it was Christmas time. She said, hey, mom, dad, can we? Can I go on a bike ride by myself around the block? We're like, sure, go for it. And for some reason, uh, I felt the need to say, today, let's give, you, let's give you mom's phone. So my wife, Julie, we said, let's give you mom's phone. If anything happens or we need you, here you go, just call us, okay? Uh, not expecting us to even use it because she's great at coming back. Uh, and so she drives off, she goes off, and uh, three minutes later, I get a phone call, and I, and I pull out my phone, and it says, Julie, my wife is calling me. Which was interesting, because Julie was standing right next to me, and so I was kind of like, honey, like why, why, did you butt dial me? Why are you calling me, like right now? And she said, I don't, I don't have my phone. Didn't you give my phone to, to Lily? And I went, Lily, Lily. And so I answered the phone. I was hoping everything was gonna be okay, and I answer it, and this is what I hear. I hear my, my daughter crying. Dad, I crashed my bike. I don't know where I am. I I need your help. I'm hurting. And when you get that phone call, there's a, like I'm even getting it now, there's a feeling you feel where you go, like it hurts. It's visceral. And so in that moment, you try to be calm as a parent. You're like, okay, it's going to be okay. Where are you at? She said, I don't know. I'm by a school over here. I'm like, okay, uh, stay there. I'm going to find you. I'll be right there. And I'll tell you what, you've never seen me run so fast. I ran down my my parents' driveway. I ran down the street, and I'm just running and looking for her. And I turned the corner, and I see my daughter there. Uh, Unfortunately, there was someone who was walking her dog, and she she was able to sit by her side and was helping her navigate all this. And I get to her, and and fortunately, her bike was a little dinged up. But she was okay. She was just freaking out. But, But like I said, when you get the phone call, and you hear your daughter is lost and hurting and in pain and needs help, that is the feeling Jesus has towards these people. Man, these people don't have anything. And they're hungry. And they're here. Compassion. He feels it. He says, I don't just feel it. I have to do something about it. And so what I love about that compassion is Jesus doesn't just have that compassion for these people. Can I just tell you this? Jesus has that compassion for you. Like in all of your hurts and in all of your needs, he doesn't go, ah, we'll figure it out. He goes, ah you're my son, you're my daughter, I want to help you with this. And all he's expecting from us is to simply trust that he has a solution to meet those needs, which is what he promises to us. He says, pray for, for daily bread. And he says, I promise you, I will provide for that. All he wants us to do is trust us in this, that he, that he will provide those needs and, and, and be mindful of this. Uh, when he wants us to trust, oftentimes Jesus will test us to see whose solution we trust the most. And this is key. He might test us in this. Uh, We see it in this passage, verse six. Uh, Jesus turns to Philip and says, hey, all these people are hungry. Where are we going to get all this food? And he asked the question because it says he wanted to test him for Jesus himself knew the solution to what he was already going to do. And so you see this, you got to ask the question, why does Jesus test him? Uh, And as we talk about it, um, it's important to know that there's a difference between testing and tempting. Uh, James 1.13 says that God will not be tempted, nor does he tempt people. Okay, So there is a difference between being, being tempted and tested. Uh, a temptation, you can think of it as, uh, it's a tool that the, the enemy uses, the devil. It's a tool he uses to twist the truth to pull you away from God. Right, That's the goal of a temptation. Twist the truth to pull you away from God. He wants to sever the relationship, and he wants you to blame God for it. So he twists the truth, and he tempts us to do something that that we don't want to do, but we kind of want to do, and he knows when we do it, it's going to pull us away from God. That's a temptation. God would never do something to pull us away from him, but he will test us. And so that's what a test is. A test, on the other hand, is a tool that God uses to draw us closer to him, and he, he tests our faith to see how we apply our understanding of his truth and who he is. So the truth that we read in Scripture, he's like, They've been reading about this. Let, let's, see, let's see if they can apply it to the life. And so he's willing to test us. It's not to pull us away. It's to bring us actually closer to him. And, and this is important because we live in a world where people are always like, oh, just live your truth, right? Your truth is the real thing. And, and feel however you want to feel because if you believe it, then it's good, right? And, and while that feels great to us, I, I wish I could live my own truth and you can live your own truth. Here's the issue. If you have a truth and I have a truth and they're opposite, that how, do we, how do we know what the actual truth is? Because the truth has to be a standard by which we judge all of the other things. And we, if we all have our own idea of what that standard is, then we're just playing this weird, odd game where you actually aren't living out any truth. Which is why as Christ followers, we have to understand there is only one truth, church. And the truth is rooted and it's founded in the words of God, which begs the question, um, when God puts tests into our life, and if we have to apply the truth, do you and I know what the truth is? Do I know what God's word says about it? Because if I don't get God's word in me, can I just tell you this? We won't pass the test when it comes. He won't pass it, which is why even last week we talked about uh, the power of like consecration and courage and commitment. Uh, consecration is this idea of committing ourselves through our prayer life, through our devotional life, through the study of scripture to understand God's word where, where we actually read the Bible and we can interpret culture through the Bible instead of looking at culture and interpreting the Bible through culture. That's a dangerous game to play, okay? And so he's like, you got to know the truth. And so in this case, Jesus has been living this life with his disciples. He has shown them time and time and time again, I am the Messiah let me do all these miracles, let me provide for people. And then he comes to them and he's expecting them to know the answer. Hey, where are we going to buy this food? And so when Jesus asked that question, he's not asking Philip to find a solution. Jesus is asking Philip because he wants to see who he goes to for the solution. And I'm a little bit like Philip. I would have done what Philip does. I look what Philip does. This is how he answers. He goes to himself and he goes, oh, let me rack my brain. Money. I, I, I live in this area. Yeah, I think we go to this place and that place. But I'll tell you what, I don't think my solution, we don't have enough money to like even get enough food to give these people a little bit. And so he says, my solution isn't enough. And then another disciple kicks in, Andrew. He says this in verse nine. He says, well, there's a boy here, which I'm curious how this happened. I'm curious if Andrew like saw a boy with a, with a sack lunch and is like, Give me that, kid. Hey, I found something. Here it is, right? I wonder if that happened. I, I don't tend to picture it that way. I, I think the boy was probably there and he was sitting and he had a sack lunch and I don't know if his mom was there with him, but I wonder if the boy was just like, I have this. It looks like you're trying to feed people. I, this might help. And so Andrew pulls it the and says, okay, we, we have five barley loaves and two fish, but <laughs> there's 20,000 people here. That, that's not going to do anything. And so he looks at the solution, but it's not possible. And, and both of these these men understood in this moment that there's limits to our humanity, isn't there? There's limits to our solutions. There's limits to all the things that we think we can accomplish. And we look at different problems. And some of us are really good at solving the problems, but we still are limited. And I believe what John is trying to show us in this moment is that when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is not limited by our limitations. And how many of you are thankful for that? Yes, absolutely. I am so thankful for that. For that. Jesus is not limited by our, our limitations. And Jesus immediately, uh, I'm sure in his brain, we don't, we don't see it here, but I'm sure he's going, Philip, Andrew, you didn't pass the test this time. Uh, and I'm sure you know, in his mind, he's thinking to himself, man, disciples, how quickly you forgot who I am. How quickly you forgot that in the beginning, I was with God. How quickly you forgot that in the beginning, I was with God because guess what? I am God. How quickly you forget that all the things that you see, the fish and the barley, by the way, I'm the one who spoke that into existence. How quickly you forgot that I'm the one who has unlimited resources. How quickly you forget that I have unlimited ways to actually meet your needs. How quickly we forget that. And I have to ask the question, um, do you forget who your God is sometimes? And I, know, I do all the time, right? But he is not limited to our limitations, and, and by the grace of God, I love that Jesus doesn't shame the disciples in this moment. He doesn't say, well, You guys are so dumb. <laughs> what are you doing? No, Jesus thinks differently. He's like, Let's use this as a teaching moment. And so he says, Instead of shaming them, ooh, let me use them. Let me use them. And so look at what Jesus says next, verse 10. He looks at the disciples and he says, Here's what we're going to do. Why don't you guys go have all the people sit down? Now, have you ever tried to um, seat 20,000 people? It's probably a little bit like hurting cats would be my assumption. Uh, hey, okay, we're going to sit. Uh, we need 50 people to sit over here. And then some guy in this group is going, but my family's in that group over there. It doesn't matter. Just sit down in 50. But my fa- friends are over there. And then one person runs. And then this group's going, did you say 50 or 60 people? It's like, just, just sit down, okay? And there's toddlers in there. And they're crying. And I'm sure the, the disciples are feeling the tension. They're like, Jesus, what are we doing right now? <laughs> Why are you making us sit these people down? Uh, it's a great question. Why does Jesus use us? If Jesus can perform the miracle, why doesn't he just like, bless the food, hey, boom, Right, and it pops into our plate. Why doesn't he just do that? He doesn't. He actually uses disciples. He uses us. Why does Jesus want to include us in the miracle? Um, I fully believe that Jesus wants to utilize us, not to perform the miracle, he doesn't, but to participate is because when you see the miracle happen and you're a part of it, God increases and I decrease. We have this flip so many times though. We find solutions because we want to be bigger. In a sense, we don't say this, but we want to be God. And so when we when we flip it, I increase and God decreases. And when, when you're a part of the miracle, God gets bigger, we get smaller. And, and that's addicting, by the way. When you're a part of the miracle, you go, I got to have more. Which is why it's so important for us, like we talked about last week, courage and commitment. It's going to, It's going to take courage and commitment from us to step into serving other people. It's going to take courage and commitment for us to take the next step in our generosity. It's going to take courage and our commitment to actually be a part of what God wants to do because he wants to invite us into it. Um, And when you do that, you start to experience the miracles and you love it. And this is why I want to encourage all of us. Um, We we talked about the Memorial Day house build is coming up uh, at the end of May. I want to challenge you And my heart for all New Breakers is this. Go on a missions trip at some point in time. And the most accessible missions trip that is easy to go on is the Memorial Day house build. For three days, we go down to Mexico, we partner with Amor Ministries, who's one of our Kingdom Builders partners, and we build these homes for people. And many of you have heard the stories of us building homes, and and it's cool to hear stories, but it's, it's transformational when you build the house for the family. And when you go down and you put up the walls and you put on a door that locks and windows that close and a roof that doesn't leak anymore, which by the way, with all the rain that we've gotten here, we think this is bad go to Mexico and see what's going on. It's chaos. And they don't have homes. It's a 10 by 20 shack that they live in and all the mudslides are going into their homes. And so to be able to hand the keys at the end of a weekend and say, we built this house for you. It doesn't leak. The door locks and you got windows. God bless you. Like, like that, cha- that changes your perspective. And then you start to understand why we talk about kingdom builders all the time. Because we don't just say it, we believe it. We get to be a part of it. Jesus wants to invite us into the process because he says, it's going to bless you and it's also going to change your life forever. And so Jesus, he, he, he wants to use us. He uses the disciples and the miracle starts to happen. And, and, and they don't just sit all the people down, which by itself is probably a miracle. But look what happens next. Jesus, he takes the loaves and after giving thanks, he, he distributes them. And we, we actually learn in the other gospels that the disciples feed the people and they got as much as they wanted. So they didn't just eat a few hamburgers. These people were greedy. There's 14 billion hamburgers served today. They're like, I'm just gonna take 6 billion of these. Right? They, they wanted all the things that they could get. Why? Because it was available. And so this miracle happens uh, that they became full and many of these people haven't experienced a meal where their stomachs are full. And Jesus goes, in this moment, he says, I, I'm showing you, I care about your daily needs. I care about it. Here's a miracle. Here's food. And guess what? There's even leftovers. And this moment right here, is where there becomes a fork in the road. Because you either understand what happened or you don't. (laughs) You either see it or you don't. Remember John talks about there's a literal meaning and there's a symbolic meaning. Do you understand what just happened? Unfortunately for the crowd, um, they missed it. And my prayer, as we continue to read the rest of the story, my prayer is that we don't miss this, church. We don't miss it, okay? And so keep reading to me in verse 25. Jesus, once again, he feeds all these people. It's a miracle. Uh, they try to take him away as king, and he says, I, I gotta go rest, which is something important for us to understand. Take vacations, rest, be alone. It's good for you, okay? Uh, but Jesus, he wants to go away to rest, and the crowds, they want more of Jesus. They want more of this bread, and so they actually follow him. And what's, what's funny, look at verse 25. Uh, it says, they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, and they say to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's like, what are we we talking about? You followed me. What, What do you mean, when did I get here? You're the one who followed me to this place. And so Jesus answered him in verse 26. Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled, which is a good thing. But he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And in other words, in this moment, Jesus exposes the motivation of these people coming to find him. He's like, you want the riches that come from me, but you're not willing to have a relationship with me. You want all of the blessings. You want all of the benefit, but you're not willing to actually live life with me. You're here for the wrong reasons. That's why you're searching for me. They want want the bread. Verse 28 says this, Well, well then, what can we do to perform the works of God? They ask. Jesus replies to them in verse 29 Well, this is the work of God. All you have to do is believe in the one that he has sent. We talked about belief a few weeks ago. Belief means to change your allegiance. He says, Change your allegiance to me. That's all you got to do. That's all the work that needs to be done. Verse 30, these people still don't get it. Well, okay, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see you and believe you? They ask. What are you going to do to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and just as it, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, uh, you have to understand these people. They, they know their history. They, they uh, are proud believers of the Old Testament. They have heroes in the faith. One of their heroes is Moses, okay? And Moses, when he delivers the people out of Israel, which God delivers them, but Moses is the leader, um, there's this manna that comes from heaven, this heavenly bread that feeds them for the day. Uh, and so in their heads, all these people are going, well, Moses, he performed a miracle. He's the one that brought all of the bread from heaven, and, 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 and he's the one that we worship, is ultimately what they're saying. And look at what Jesus says. He corrects them. He says, can I just tell you something? Moses didn't give you the bread, people. He says, it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And now the crowd is going, you're a carpenter, son. What do you know? give us this bread, okay? The, the stuff that you talked to, verse 34, they said to him, give us the bread then, the one, the one you're talking about, show it to me. And then we get to verse 35. And Jesus looks at all of them and he says, I am the bread of life. And the words he uses here, by the way, um, would have probably stopped people in their tracks. Because um, when he says, I am, he's not just saying, hey, look at me, I am. He's actually using this, this word, ego Me, which is, uh, if you look at the translation in the Hebrew, when God is speaking to Moses, he says, I am who I am. He uses the word Yahweh. So he's using this personal, uh, holy name of God. He says, ego Me. In other words, he's saying, I am the actual bread. I am the only source of, yes, your life physically, but I'm the source of your life spiritually. I am, ego Me. I am God, and I am the one who is your life. And he says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And he keeps going. Verse 36, but as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. Everyone the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of uh, him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given to me but should raise them up on that last day. In verse forty, this is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And so Jesus, he he, he explains all this stuff to them, and once again, the fork in the road. There, there's a literal meaning, and there's a symbolic meaning. And many people today, maybe even uh, some of us listening, we, we just want to settle for the literal meaning. What is the literal meaning of Jesus is our sustainer of life? Well, it means this. Jesus cares about you, and he wants to give you food, water, and shelter. Right? And some of us are like, great, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I, I, want, I want a Jesus who just makes me comfortable and satisfies my needs. That's all I want. And I fear that some of us settle for just that Jesus. And that's a piece of it. But you're missing the point. We're missing the point. What is the symbolic, deeper meaning that John is getting at? John is trying to tell us that Jesus is not just the means of life, but he is the meaning of your life. They're different. The means of life, but also the meaning of your life. Uh, This is why when Jesus says to him, I am the bread of life, he says, No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And we we read this passage, and you you go, I'm the bread of life. And that word life in English, we only have one word for life, and it kind of means different things. It's like, hey, how's life? We'll say it that way, but we'll also be like, is she alive? And they mean different things, but we only have like one word for life. In the Greek, however, there's there's multiple words for life, and they mean different things, and they sound different, okay? Uh, And so one of the words that you see in Greek that is... um, that is the word life, is this word bios, B-I-O-S. It's where we get the word biology, the study of living organisms, that idea. Uh, And so bios is the idea of your physical life. Um, Luke, we see a story of this lady who, um, she has all this pain and she's trying to find, from all the doctors, she's like, how do I heal my, my bios? And so she spends her entire bios, physical life, trying to find the answer to that, okay? So all of us, we have a bios life, it's the physical life. Another word for life that we see in the Greek is this word zoe, Z-O-E, zoe. Zoe is not a physical life. It's a life that transcends the physical and it's a divine style of life. Uh, Romans talks about when we, when we die to ourselves, when we begin a relationship with God, we now have to walk in this newness of zoe. It, it, it's a life that transcends the physical that we're in. But none of us are born in our bios life or bios life into a zoe life. There's something, something else that has to happen in our life. And so when, it, when, when Jesus says this, um, he's not telling them, I know he's talking about bread, he's not going, I am the bread of, of bios. I'm the physical bread that you're looking for. That's not what he says. He says, I am the bread of, and he uses the word, zoe, eternal life. And so when they would have heard this word, they would have been like, you, you didn't say the other word. We're, we're looking for the bios bread. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I am the bread of. Zoe eternal life and he looks at all the people in the crowd and he says all of us here today including us um, There there is this this hole in our life. You have a Zoe hunger You want something more for your life And jesus is ultimately saying to these people you have this Zoe need That you're trying to find a solution through a bios hunger He says it'll never satisfy you You'll never find meaning in it Meaning more money will not bring you more meaning a better job will not bring you more meaning. A master's degree will not bring you more meaning. More money, more, a better credit score is not gonna, gonna give you more meaning. I'll even say this, just going to church won't give you more meaning. Jesus says, the only thing that will ever give you meaning is you have to concern yourself with me and we're always so concerned about our stomachs, our physical, the bios, and Jesus says, I care about that, but I care about your soul, And that's the Jesus that we serve, because he's the only thing that will satisfy, and everything else is just a cheap substitute for a savior. And we try to fill that hole with bios, 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 bios. He's like, Zoe, 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 let me give this to you. And so in this moment, all that Jesus is really asking for is, he says, if you want to experience Zoe life, I just want your allegiance. We see in verse 40, he says, this is the will of my father, that everyone... Wherever you're at today, in the highs and the lows, whether you believe in him or not, he says, anyone who sees the sun and believes changes our allegiance. You will have eternal Zoe life, something that transcends you. And I will raise him up on the last day. And and I picture in this moment, this crowd of 15,000, 20,000 people following Jesus. Um, Maybe some of them even holding the leftovers of bread that they had the other day. They hear Jesus say, I want to give you more than this. And they look at the bread and they look at Jesus and they look at the bread and they look at Jesus and they go, I'll take the bread. And they walk away. 15,000 people walk away because the idea of, of changing my allegiance um, is not easy to grasp. We, we love our stuff and we hold on to it. But what's interesting is those 15,000 people take home the leftovers, only to wake up the next day and go, gosh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Uh, and so they were moved by the miracles of Jesus. They experienced the miracles of the Messiah, but they missed the Messiah. And what's so interesting is that Jesus, as all these thousands of people leave, Jesus actually turns to his disciples and he says, is this hard for you to understand too? Are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? as well. Uh, and, and I love their response. And this is the response I want to have. This is the response I want all of us to have. They look at Jesus and they say this, where are we going to go? <laughs> Lord, which is an important word to say, Lord, who, who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal Zoe. We have changed our allegiance. We believe and we now know that you are who you say you are. You are the source of all life. And in this moment, they take a stand and say, Jesus, wherever you go, we're going to follow you because you have Zoe life for us. And so you see this entire story. You play it all out. People see the miracles. They experience the miracles. Many of them miss it. The disciples don't miss it. And the question then goes out to us. Let me ask you this. To whom are you going to go? right? Uh, the options are there. He can't force you to make a decision to follow him or, or to, to keep your stuff, the, the bios, the, the schooling, the money, uh, the accolades, the name, the social media status. We, we hold both of these things and he's saying, who are you going to go to? You, you have the choice. And, and I feel that many of us are, are holding on to, to the sin patterns we love. And we're holding on to the money and we're holding on to the job status. And we're holding on to all those things. And, and, and we're in a place where we're looking at Jesus. And we're like, I, I want that. <sighs> but, but this, that, yeah, and we're wrestling. It's okay to wrestle with that. But can I just tell you today, Jesus is the only one who will satisfy you. Only. Bottom line. Stop trying to find a, a Zoe solution in the, in the bios things of life because he's the only one that can bring it. And so today, here's my prayer for you. That as you wrestle through it, that you would know so intently that the Holy Spirit would even speak to you right now, go, just come to me. Release all those things because they'll never satisfy you. And watch what I will do. So I want to pray this over us today. And so, Jesus, we come to you right now and on a day where we're going to eat a lot of food. Only to wake up tomorrow and need more food. And only to wake up the next day and need more food. God, remind us that, that in our life, there were things that we, will, we try to substitute. That we think can save us. Food, money, wealth, status. And while, while they're great... And they can be used as tools. uh, Sometimes we make those our savior and we forget that you are the only one who came onto this planet and you said and you tell all of us, I know you're gonna eat all this bread, but I am the bread of life. God, I pray that we'd put our trust in you. God, anyone here who's, who's watching online and, and they're wrestling through the, the, do I want to give this up or not? God, I pray that as they navigate that, that you would give them strength, that you would show them and reveal to them the power of who you are in your Zoe, eternal, divine life that you want to give to all of us. And so God, any of us here who are maybe wrestling with it, God, I pray that we'd make a decision to follow you above all things, just like the disciples, that we'd be able to say, Jesus, where else are we going to go? So God, we devote our lives to you. Lead us, guide us. Thanks for loving us so well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.